we got the alternative energy right. for the nuclear free autonomy. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show. I'm Michaela Stubbs. From 1952 to 1963, the British government, on the invitation of the Australian government, conducted 12 major nuclear tests and around 600 so-called minor trials, first at Montebello Islands in Western Australia, before moving to mainland tests in South Australia. The first of the onland tests was at Emu Field on the Anangu Pitinjara Yankunjara lands on the 15th of October 1953. On the 70th anniversary of the Totem 1 atomic test, it's a vital time to look at the ongoing impacts on the health of people and the environment and put energy into practical ways to address those harms and make sure it doesn't happen again. Today, we'll bring you part of a conversation between Gunai Kurnai broadcaster, Bangalini Robbie Thorpe, and Karina Lester, a Yankunjara Anangu woman, whose father, the late Yankunjara elder, Yami Lester, was blinded by the fallout from the Totem 1 test. Karina works with the University of Adelaide's mobile language team and has worked continuously to expose the truth about the nuclear industry. Opening this interview is the song Maralinga by the Awancha Band. Here's the remote and lonely village of Maralinga. Here was the site of an experiment with man's most revolutionary discovery, the atom bomb. Great smoke. Sick. 
people got sick. What we call like smoke, 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 people got sick. Today they're talking about having uh, more nuclear things and that's a uh, worry. What we call him Black Smoke. A triumph of the tests at Maralinga. Yeah, that's um, Maralinga. Story about black smoke or black mist. And that refers to the uh, the fallout, the radioactive fallout from the Totem 1 nuclear test at Emu Field in 1953. But that song featured the, the voice of the late Yummy Lester, who was, who was blinded by that, that mist, grew up a lifetime of blindness because of that, that radiation. I'm going to have a talk to Yummy's daughter, Karina Lester, on the line from Adelaide. Thank you, Heath, for coming on and having a yarn to us. I'm actually coming in from on country, so I'm up on the Yarnungal Bidanjara Yankunjara lands and on my father's country and a place called Wallatina or Wallajara, as Yankunjara speakers would pronounce it. Is that west or eastern part of uh, South Australia, northern part, I suspect? Um, I'm going to say northwest. Northwest, the- yeah. I'm about 27 kilometres off the highway, so, you know, the Stewart Highway. Um, I'm 27 kilometres west from the township of Marla. Which oh, yeah, yeah. I know house. Marla, yeah. Yeah, and it's the last roadhouse out of the state, so I'm about 170 kilometres from the NTSA border, and we are right on the bottom southeastern corner of the APY lands, and that's where I'm coming in from. Oh man, and, and, and that that was affected by Maralinga bombs and other bombs that went off there. Yes, well, Wallatina or Wallajara was affected by the first mainland tests that took place on the fifteenth of October, nineteen fifty-three. So coming up seventy years very soon on Sunday, where Emu Totem One and Totem Two. Um, went off. They were detonated there at Emu Field and it was here 70 years ago on this country that Dad and his people felt the ground shake. I heard that story from your dad himself at that Uluru handover. I met yes. him there and he told us, you know, they were sleeping there on the, on the, in the camp there then they heard this thud. And a little bit later, all this black mist came over the over the mob and a lot of them got sick and a lot, of, a lot of them went blind from it. Yeah, Dad was blinded. Many of his people, the older generation, died um, yeah. because of that radiation fallout. It was early 7 o'clock that morning um, when the bomb went off, Totem 1, um, and that fallout fell over the camp. Now, Dad and his mum and his father and his family were working for the early settlers that were here, Mr and Mrs Cullinan, who were the pastoralists. Okay. And they would travel down from the sand dune where the old shelters are today. You can still see those old shelters. 
were walked down to do the domestic work that they did while Dad was a kid walking around through this country and then his, um, yeah, his world changed and, and changed dramatically. Oh, after totally. Four years, his world turned to darkness soon after those tests and by, you know, the, the very young age. And, of course, Dad was born in the bush. So, tell us a little bit about it. Did, did, did the people that I work with, did they let them know that this was going to happen, uh, these bomb testing was going to happen? Because how would people, Aboriginal people, know? You know, no good putting up a sign. Well, yeah, no good putting up a sign because language was the big barrier. They, You know, the UK patrol officers or the Australian patrol officers for the Defence Force were not Yangunyara speakers. No. Um, so there was very little communication. Um there was one patrol officer, Robbie, that covered the area, the large area of the state of South Australia, which is almost half the state when you think of where the testing program went down to yes. and covered. Um, so it's a fairly large area of the state of South Australia and just one patrol officer to manage and patrol that region. Was there anything uh, sinister, you think, about it? Because, uh, you know, in your estimate, how, how many of the mob would have been there under that under those bombs at that time? Well, that's the unknown figure. People through our oral history and our oral history, Robbie, people were living and moving through that country and family had been lost and people never got answers of where family were at the time and whether they were there and how they were impacted. So we we just never know. So it's just been totally wiped off the face of the earth and there's nothing known about some people and clans yeah. or mobs or family yep. groups. Absolutely. And then you saw Dad's community being impacted by that radioactive cloud, that black mist that fell over the community and people died from that then. The older generation died. Dad was a young teenager. Just and were they sick all their lives? You know, because you just it would have been ill for a long time before they died. It would have been such a horrible thing for them. I know your dad, he went blind, completely blind from it. But there would have been a lot of sickness uh, associated. And what sort of medical assistance did they get after this was happening? And was that all, or was that just all yeah, forgotten about? Um, all gaps in history. So, you know, dad, the radiation fallout, Old people died instantly by, you know, by that evening, people were digging shallow, digging graves wow. to put their loved ones by that afternoon and that evening. People were starting to really feel the first-hand experience of this black mist that fell over, which is that radioactive cloud. The older generation became really sick. Um, Dad's mothers became um, got some rashes on their skins, which scarred their skin, which was like a burn oh, that fell over. Dad's eyes were impacted and his cousin's eyes were impacted as well. And then that was a gradual process then for Dad. From that young age, he then had started suffering these eye issues then. Mm. And so soon after, four years later, he... He remembers this. He saw the last red light from the doctors and that was it. It was world turned to darkness and world completely changed then. And it was, you know, quite um, life-changing for Dad, no doubt. And then children came along, myself and my 
older siblings and we grew up with dad but you know at a very young age we never really knew we just knew how to work with dad with his disability and then later as we got older we realized that this is uh, such a tragic and sad story of what happened because it was totally out of dad's control this was British government total, tra- total travesty that's what it is and it's a crime Absolutely. against humanity and um, hasn't been Absolutely. properly addressed so yeah, that's, it's, it's really horrendous this um, so, um, and you know the 70th anniversary is coming up Robbie where we're wanting to just remind us fellow Australians that 70 years ago Arnold have never received an apology by the British government but also one of the concerns that as the next generation and a second generation survivor of the EMU Fields test is that there's never been a clean-up out there on country. So we don't know what's, you know, the levels of radiation out there at EMU Field. And EMU Field had two tests, Totem 1, which was on the 15th of October, and then Totem 2 was detonated on the 27th of October. A couple of weeks, uh, two weeks apart or something. Yeah, and nothing's been done, one, in relation to the clean-up and two, in relation to the contamination that there still exists today because we all know that radioactive material is around for thousands and thousands of years. What's what's the flora and and, and fauna like out there? How was that impacted? And, 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 And... Aboriginal people themselves, is it gone in, has it got generational problems associated with it? Well, that's what we're trying to work through just by collecting that data over that 70 years of people's health conditions and that generational transfer as well. To, yes. You know, I have my older sister who passed tragically two years ago now, had an autoimmune disease and yeah. spent... A lot of time here on country, up here at Wallatina and Walladatta, mm. you know, doing work on country and, you know, develop this autoimmune disease. And ground, Is it in the groundwater? Well, that's what we don't know, Robbie, and that's what we're wanting to find out. We want yeah. to know how safe oh, is our country. And so what, you know, is needed is the research and the actual work in EMU field, the clean-up and the safety of those two craters because in the craters there are no trees growing in the crater it's all you know topsoil weeds and whatever have you have you seen those craters yeah Yeah. i went out there not recently but i have been out there to emu and totem one they've marked it with a you know like a a pyramid plaque with a red telephone on the top that you know that was what they called through to the UK to say, yes, we have. I mean, they didn't call through, but it was symbolic as in, you know, we we did the first mainland test on Australian soil. You're tuned to the Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR Community Radio. We're bringing you parts of a conversation between Yankunjara Anangu woman Karina Lester and Ganai Kurnai broadcaster at 3CR Bangalini Robbie Thorpe, talking about the ongoing impacts of the atomic test. Why did they pick that area? Well, it was remote. Why did you get pinpointed your mob? Very good questions, and we'll never know, and I don't know, maybe after 70 years there is 
reasoning why they picked that location. There was secrecy around the whole thing, wasn't there, back, back in mm-hmm. the day? I don't think everyone knew well, what was going on. Absolutely. And that then, the testing program, they realised Emu Field was quite isolated and remote. So mm-hmm. they then moved the program down to Maralinga and mm-hmm. then con- conducted further tests down on Maralinga country. And again, God knows how many tests that they practiced and released and, you know, experimented with on Maralinga Darrowda lands, but that's where the program was really running quite, you know, thorough at that time because they'd built the village, they'd built the airstrip, it was on the railway line as well, it was coming through, so they were able to move people off and relocate them to various parts from from Maralinga Darrowda Oak Valley down to Yalata and across to Sejuna and across to Kubapiti, Kubapiti um, and various locations. I had a nana of mine who ended up at Gerard, which was one so of the missions. So totally scattered the mob after that. Totally. How's that come back together? Is it? Are you still connected in um, in some yeah. ways? And It's a tough journey for yeah. those people who were relocated and you know, dispersed, as sometimes I don't know, often say, you know, we, we kind of grew up in somebody else's country. And yeah, not, yeah not I understand. I, I know what that means. Yeah, and but they still had that connect to country, and yeah. people have been coming back slowly okay. then, back to Oak Valley, and they established through Maralinga Jaroja, Oak Valley community, and then Oak Valley is where many of those people who were descendants of those who had been moved away are So what's the chances of mob coming back? And, it, you know, is it, is it being properly... Well, there's issues about being properly cleaned up. There's also... Um, That's you're issue. talking about reparations, and is, you're probably not happy with that. Um, well, I'm not for EMU. Marilyn Goddardian mob had gone through a clean-up process. I don't know how clean it is and whether Arnold and that mob who were down there at Marilyn Goddardian country are happy with that clean-up. My knowledge is that the village is still radioactive and mm. there are still things. If you went in with your counter, your Geiger counter, it would still have high readings in that village in 2023. Yeah. And that happened 60, 70 years ago. So these things are the unknowns and what we are as Arnold are wanting to get answers for is to find out what is going on with with our country and also our people who are scarred and, and impacted by it all then as well. So it's been... You know, a, a challenging experience, 70 years down the track, still feeling the consequences of these decisions made by government of the day. We, the scars are still there on our country and the scars are still on our people as well. And the sickness is still there with our people. So, you know, we, we're really wanting to mark the 70th anniversary as, you know, time to be seriously taken. And that's Part of the work that I do with ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, is that there's been some amazing work by ICANN around the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. Just tell us a little bit about what's happening. What does um, waking the parenti mean? The parenti man? 
Yes, mm. well, just it's a reminder that there was culture and there was intangible cultural heritage connect that Arnold had and still have to country. But, you know, this, this wedding in Daganyawangani is about waking his being of this creation story. It's one of our, what we call, wabar. wabar is the term we use for our ancestral story. That's very much connected to Walyadara, to Dad's country, on Yangunyara country. Okay. And reflecting that there is culture and strong culture um, and that Nindaga was present at the time and through the creation stories. You know, we've had the contamination as in bomb tests on Yangundara country. Yes. And, you know, this waking of the Parinti man is that, you know, he was present and existed and was a very big part of Arnongo life yes. then before 1953. And that's what we're waking. We're oh, waking. Okay. Yeah, this beautiful. Is culture. This is our normal culture. Our intangible cultural heritage exists, and we're bringing, you know, bringing him back. Well, we're so lucky to have yourself, Karina, and your aunts and the people who you went through that, and are still with us. Yeah, it's such an incredible story of survival, and the whole world needs to know about it. And that's been part of the work that we've been doing within ICANN as well because it's such an international network, that campaign to abolish nuclear weapons, because it's a global act. Governments around the world had tested on First Nations people's yeah. countries and oceans because the program from Australia then moved to the Pacific region and they continued to test in atolls. No, it's, it's, it's total insanity, isn't it? It is. To do it there in those places. I think, I think there's something even more sinister surrounding it all. Well, Arizona would have copped a, a few atomic bombs, I, I suspect. And, you know, like, and, you know, who, who, face, who, who gets, takes the most damage? It's the original First Nations people of these countries, you know. And it doesn't do any good for your food sources and, and your environment in, in general. You know, it's a real attack on our people. On our people, but also on our traditional lands, whether it's mainland Australia or whether it's the Pacific Ocean, you know, that's a life source. The land and the oceans are our lifeline yep. to our very existence, and powers to be have come in to conduct these programs thinking that they have all authority. No consent was ever given by Arnold to say, come in, British government and test on our traditional lands, no consent. And 70 years down the track, Robbie, no apology. It's pretty disgraceful. No Very, it's Very it's total disgraceful. And Australia needs to know this. And Australia needs to sign on the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. They have not signed and that is the work of ICANN to really work closely with. Well, we'll put a call out to my listeners, and what can they can do on, on particularly how can they commemorate the fifteenth, and how can they make sure this UN this treaty gets over the line and Australia's made to you know, sign on. You know, they don't sign on to a lot of these international. You know, they mess around with international law here. They, they do. They yeah, so we need to bring it, take them to task, because they, they've got a big mouth on some issues, but they. Yeah, very quiet on others. Uh, so, well, 
We are really concerned around the AUKUS arrangement and one of the concerns that we have as Australians and in particular South Australians First Nations peoples is that we are always pressured on being the waste dump solution to nuclear waste and there's a real fear within our community with AUKUS is Australia part of the deal of AUKUS is to bring in the waste from those two countries, those other two countries, because we don't have nuclear power. And we don't want nuclear power for the very reason... Keep it in the ground, was the saying back then. Absolutely. There is no textbook on clean up. And classic example is Fukushima. You know, mm. they're releasing highly radioactive contaminated fluids that were released when that eruption happened. Yeah, they did that the other day. They're, they're sort of they're released they're into the ocean now. So, well, what will be the effect of that on the, on the Pacific Ocean and elsewhere? They don't know how to manage nuclear anything. All they use nuclear is a deterrent and the fear. It's fearing everybody that if you step out of line, we will use these nuclear weapons. And yeah. they will be the end of society or oh. of the human race and our very existence on the one planet that we live on. So they are the concerns that we have as First Nations peoples. Australia is not the waste dump for the UK or oh. for the US. And that's a, a real fear for us here in South Australia that our lands will be used as waste dumps for the UK and for the US. Now, that part we don't know because we don't even know what the AUKUS deal is and Australia's role in it. So they're questions Australians need to really be asking and want to know what is our role in the whole AUKUS deal. There's real concern for that. But we want to remind fellow Australians about what happened 70 years ago that brings us to the end of today's Radioactive show. Thanks so much to Pangelini, Robbie Thorpe and to Karina Lester for sharing this interview. I'll provide the links to the full interview in our podcast notes and you can find the Radioactive show podcast at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. And to find out more about the work of ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, you can go to icanw.org.au. Thanks so much to the Community Radio Network for getting the show out to community radio stations across the continent. And thanks as always to the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne for their ongoing support for the program. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. That's a worry. What we call him, like smoke.